Hi there, and welcome to the Oompal.com podcast. I'm Oli, and for episode number 66, it is my pleasure to bring to you a chat with Master Blender Russ Willette of PipesAndCigars.com fame. Russ is one of those powerhouses in the world of tobacco. He's been around, and he has the portfolio to prove it. Just the kind of guy I want on this podcast. The following podcast is brought to you by none other than Monstrosity Pipes. I'd like you to go check out my retailers, cupofjoes.com, pipesandcigars.com, and rockstarpipes.com. That's R-O-K-S-T-A-R pipes.com. Don't forget to please let me know once you buy from any of my retailers so that I can put you on the Bravest Personages page over at umpal.com. If you own a monstrosity pipe and you don't see your name on that list, please let me know so that I can properly add you to it. I'm very pleased to have such an awesome group of collectors that keep coming back. My work is always guaranteed for life. If you own one of my beasts, thank you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. You guys and gals are simply wonderful. If you have yet to experience what it means to be a monstrosity collector, I highly suggest visiting cupofjoes.com, pipesandcigars.com, or rockstarpipes.com to get started. Each of those retailers has something of mine that is totally unique that you can't find anywhere else in the world. The following podcast was recorded on October 12th, 2015. Now sit back, grab a pipe, and stay a while. I hope you enjoy. On the line with us today, we have Master Blender Russ Willette from PipesAndCigars.com fame. Russ, welcome to the show. Thanks. Glad to be here. So for listeners who aren't familiar with your blends, can you run down what active lines you're responsible for? Well, anything that uh, that has the hearth and home name uh, would be mine, uh, along with the tobaccos from Missouri Mearsham. Uh, some of our match blends are ones that I've created. Um, the Decatur Bulk Tobaccos, New York Pipe Club, uh, my RO series, and my monthly blends. And then there are other ones that I've had input on that my name isn't directly associated with. Gotcha. Um, so how did how did you first get into pipe smoking and then also blending? Well, my father was a pipe smoker, so when I got into college, I decided to pick it up. Um, and my father noticed that I was smoking. Arkham Riff and the pipe, the the Venturi pipes that were made out of uh, phenolic and graphite. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a traditional pipe smoker, he wasn't too thrilled with that. So he uh, he took me to his tobacco shop and got me a briar and got me uh, a. a, a Latakia blend, and uh, I, that's when I really got into it. I, I enjoyed it after that. Well, I shopped frequently at a mall uh, tobacconist, and I had been in there frequently enough that uh, while I was in college, the manager offered me a part-time job 
and I stayed there for two years on a part-time basis. And then when I graduated, uh, I became the assistant manager. And during that time period, uh, I had developed a few blends that wound up on the counter and eventually wound up to other stores in the chain. Wow, that's awesome. So your your dad really uh, had, a, had a big hand in getting you into uh, pipes and tobaccos in that way then. That's cool. Yeah, um, especially uh, since I didn't know how he would react to me taking up the pipe, but uh, but it actually turned out to be kind of a bonding thing. Wow, that's very cool. So, how long were you at that um, that shop where you worked? Uh, three and a half years, approximately. And is there, do you have a blend or maybe a few that is something that is very unique to your taste that maybe isn't out there for public consumption but is just a, a, a spinoff that is just for you that you do? Well, it's it's funny that you, you mention that because there have been a few blends that I've come up with that were ones that I just developed for my own tastes and every time I've done it uh, people have smelled it wanted to try it and after uh, after they try it they pressure me to release it uh, magnum opus is probably the best example and so um, is that is that one of your go-to blends then oh yeah yeah um, back in the in the late 70s uh what I really enjoyed smoking was uh, a mixture I made with Balkan Sobrani Original, and I would add extra Yeniji to it, and then I would add some Perique. And when I got back into blending, um, I wanted to try to recreate that as closely as I could. And uh, so I eventually was able to come up with Magnum Opus, and uh, I was smoking out of the pipe club, and the guys smelled the aroma and started bugging me to try it, so I passed it around, and that's when they said, you've got to sell this. (laughs) And when did you start making Magnum Opus for for the public? Uh, That was 2010. And besides that one, what what other blends over the years stick out to you as as kind of a benchmark of some sort? Well, Anniversary Cake was uh, the blend that really got Hearth and Home noticed originally. Um, Even though the original blends certainly had a following, uh, Larry's blend and uh, Louisiana Red in particular, but a year later when we came out with Anniversary Cake, it really caught people's attention. Um, then later on, I would say probably the one that's had the biggest impact was Black House, because uh, that's the one that won the 2011. Uh, Balkan Sobrani 759 throwdown at the Chicago show. And 
So that one really had an impact um, because it, it brought a lot of attention to Hearth and Home for people who never even knew that the brand existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then probably um, the next one would be uh, the one that I released earlier this year, the first one under my own name, uh, the RO series Firestorm, um, because it it's a whole new line where I've been encouraged uh, to, to blend according to my tastes rather than what I think the, the uh, public necessarily is interested in. And that's that's a really interesting idea there, because as a as a tobacconist, as a as a blender and a and a very famous blender, you know, I guess there is that line to think about. You know, who who are you blending for, and at what point do you say, okay, um, you know, this is this is what I like. I don't, I'm, I'm not blending, you know, I'm not, not making this one necessarily for, uh, the public at large. Maybe they'll like it, maybe they won't. So that's, yeah, that's a really interesting kind of situation, I guess, that, that you find yourself in as you're coming up with new blends, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I've always worked off input from other people or looking at a product line and going, what what gaps do we have? You know, what holes do we need to fill? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's uh, that a tobacco becomes available, and I think to myself, how am I going to utilize this? Um, but this is the first time, and and it wasn't my idea. It was it, it was the idea of uh, people here at PNC that I should come up with a line where uh, I'm blending to uh, to my own palate and then uh, hoping that uh, other people are going to enjoy it as much as I do. So how do you test blends to see how they might work once they're ready for public consumption? Well, when I, uh, when I get started... Um, I have a uh, I have a pipe that was given to me. Oh God, it must be about ten years ago now, uh, by Rolando Nagoida. Um, and people know Rolando's briars, but uh, there's something that he uh, he's obviously an incredible artist, and uh, he came up with a double fired porcelain pipe. And the beauty of it is I run a pipe cleaner through it and wipe out the bowl with a uh, paper towel, and it's absolutely ghost-free. And uh, so I'll test it in that before I I go ahead and try it in a briar or a corn cob or or something else, uh, because that, that pipe's going to give me the true taste of the tobacco. Interesting. Wow. Uh, and then after that, um, I fortunately in the uh, in the merchandising end of pipes and cigars, everybody uh, in our group are pipe smokers. So I will have them try uh, blends, 
and then I belong to a couple of pipe clubs, and they become guinea pigs. <laughs> so you you have no uh, shortage of testers nearby. No, and <laughs> and fortunately enough, the, there's a, a wide enough uh, selection of of different tastes that you know I I, I can definitely know who to go to if I want to sample out an aromatic or a Latakia blend or a Virginia blend, whatever. Uh, I have people whose opinions I can I can trust on those things. What is the strangest blend you've ever come up with? Oh, that's that's an easy one. It was one that I did on a dare and and it's still part of our product line, uh, Vermont meat candy. <laughs> And tell me about that one. Okay. okay. Um, what what had happened was uh, the people when we were still up in Albany said to me, um, "We need a bacon flavored pipe tobacco." And I said, "Well, you know, coming up with something that's bacon flavored." Uh, probably wouldn't be very interesting, but let me see what I can do with this. So I thought about what goes well with bacon, and, I, and it occurred to me that maple goes well with bacon. Yeah. So I put together a, uh, a maple-flavored tobacco, and then I added dark-fired Kentucky to it to get the the hickory smoke flavor. And so, uh, you know, I, I thought it was just going to be uh, one and done, you know, on a whim for a promotion just for giggles. And mm-hmm. people kept asking for it. And it's still part of the product line. Wow. That's great. <laughs> What's what, what is your current most favorite blend that, that you work with? Uh, I guess it would depend on the mood. Um, the the uh, firestorm is is really uh, a favorite of mine because um, probably subconsciously, what I tried to do was to come up with a pipe tobacco that reminded me of a Nicaraguan cigar. Mm-hmm. And it has those elements. It has sweet and spicy and smoky all at the same time. Um, Later in the evening, uh, I'll probably go back to Magnum Opus. uh, And lately I've been smoking a fair amount of one that hasn't even come out yet, and that is the... John Cotton's Smyrna. Yeah, that's going to be one of five blends that will be coming out later on this year that uh, that we can get into uh, a little bit later on. Uh, I mean, I smoke a little bit of everything because I have to, um, but those are the ones that I tend to go to when I'm, I'm enjoying a pipe for my own purposes. Tell me about the My Own Blend that you guys do over there at PipesAndCigars.com. Um, how did that come about? Well, you know that My Own Blend uh, 
uh, is from the Danish pipe shop. Uh, we have the right to use it in the U.S. because we're all part of uh, the same organization. Uh, but we wanted to do something differently. Um, the uh, the Mayon blend over there are just blends that, you know, a wide variety of blends that are sold in the shop. And when people identify with one, that becomes their blend, you know. Uh, here we we were taking a look at the hobbyist side of the pipe business and realized that nobody had ever done anything where they allowed the customer to create their own blends. Mm -hmm. And so we went about doing that, uh, making a bunch of different uh, different components available and allowing people to create their blend, have it made up and shipped to them on a regular basis if they want. That is a that is just a really fun thing to do. I I know I've had a blast doing it. I know a lot of people have, but um if the listeners out there, if you guys haven't done this yet, um check it out. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of different um ways that you can create your own blend through you know, right there online and you know, at the end you just you just purchase it and it shows up at your door and it's just it's just a really cool way um to try out, you know, different different fun ways to blend something for yourself. So speaking of uh, My Own Blend, besides trial and error, what are some folks listening, how can they learn more about blending? Because there's not a whole lot of literature out there. Do you ever do any tutorials or anything like that? Well, uh, on the My Own Blend page, as you uh, read about each individual component, there are tips that we give you uh, all the way through. So, you know, we'll tell you what a particular tobacco works well with, uh, what it may not work well with, uh, what the characteristics of it are, so that you can take all of that into consideration. Um, as far as blending goes, no, there's not much literature out there. Uh, I'm hoping to solve that sometime next year. Uh, I am currently working, uh, working on a book. And uh, I, I hope it'll be uh, ready sometime toward the middle of next year. Oh, very cool. That'll be great. Yeah. Does um does aging ever come into blending, or is that is that just too far out and there's just too many factors to consider when you're coming up with a new blend? Well, if, if aging... <clears throat> If aging were a uh, more precise thing, uh, I would certainly take it into consideration. Um, but you you really can't predict what's going to happen with a blend. Um, tobaccos blended together that you think would age nicely when they're combined don't. And uh, so you you really can't predict that. So uh, if I were doing a straight Virginia, well, yeah, that that's gonna come into consideration. Maybe a Virginia Perique, we can we can predict a little bit better. But uh, as soon as you get into anything much more complex than that, it's really hard to figure out what it's going to wind up like in five to ten years. 
Are there ingredients or leaves that are in use today that will one day be gone, making them something that we should stock up for now? Uh, <clears throat> I can't. I can't predict. Um, uh, ten years ago, if you had asked me that, I would have said Parikh. Uh, but uh, Mark Ryan came in and bought L.A. Pochet and turned the entire operation around, and and now we're not concerned about Perique at all. There's going to be plenty. Um, some of the uh, the Oriental varietals might be, but I don't know which ones are most likely to be threatened. Uh, you know, other than that, uh, I'm I'm not too concerned. Latakia could be an issue, but I don't believe so. At least for the foreseeable future, uh, I'm I'm not all that concerned. Excellent. Well, that's good news. Yeah. Can you give the listeners any insights on how different leaf or types of tobacco age differently? Uh. And this this is not hard and fast. Um, I find that Virginia's age the most dramatically, uh, and I have to assume it has to do with the high sugar content. Uh, they'll tend to become deeper, sometimes sweeter, uh, as time goes on. Um, because Burley doesn't have a lot of sugar, it generally doesn't tend to age too much as far as flavor changes go. Um, they become smoother. Uh, Latakia will begin to fade after a while uh, or soften depending on how you look at it. You know, if you, if you don't like uh, the heavy smokiness of Latakia, you, you would look at that as a positive. Um, whereas some people find that with the Virginias and the blend getting sweeter and the Latakia uh, getting softer, uh, it completely changes the complexion of a blend and they may not like it as well, or they may like it better. Uh, you know, uh, aromatics, it seems to me once you apply top dressings in any significant amount to a blend, uh, you pretty much arrest any aging that's going to occur. Interesting. Okay. What makes one crop of a particular leaf better than another? If I had the answer to that, I'd be growing tobacco. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's hard to say. And, um, I mean, there's certainly, you know, uh, a lack of, uh, a lack of pests, a lack of too much rain, uh, or, uh, not having to worry about, uh, not having to worry about drought, you know, all of those things. You're, you're kind of looking for, the middle of the road, you know, you want you want enough rain, but not too much rain. You uh, uh, you don't want too much heat, but you don't want it to get cold. Uh, 
But as far as what I'm looking for um, with Virginias, I'm looking for that sweetness. Um, with lighter burleys, I'm looking for a mild, nutty flavor. Darker burleys, I'm looking for spice. Um, Latakia, eh, Latakia, you, you, you're masking the leaf a lot. Uh, with the layer of smoke, so it really has more to do with the processor doing his job properly, you know, getting the right amount of smoke, the right combination of wood, uh, that sort of thing. Um, so, it, you know, it's it's really hard to to say by looking, you, you've got to try them and uh, unfortunately, uh, it's hard to determine whether it's the leaf or the processing mm-hmm. because, you know, we're not processing it here. It, it's being processed before it gets here. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, sometimes you can have a mediocre crop, but if the the person who's curing it really knows what they're doing, uh, they can make up for for some negatives. Uh, and at the same time, you could have an excellent crop. And if the person processing it <laughs> really doesn't know uh, what they're doing, they could ruin it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Do you have any tips for cellaring? For example, a type of container, the amount of air, anything like that? Um, if you're if you're cellaring bulk, uh, my recommendation is this: um, I would um, fill a mason jar, and and that's the only thing I really would use as a mason jar. Uh, fill it uh, to within a half to three quarters of an inch from the top. Now, what I personally do is I put uh, hot tap water in the sink so that it would come up about halfway up the jar. And then I put the jars in the water for about five to ten minutes just so the lower part of the jar heats up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I take them out of the water, put the lid on, and screw it down tight. And what will happen is as the jar cools down, it'll draw a very slight vacuum. Um, and what this does is it leaves enough air in the jar so that you have aerobic fermentation going on. Mm-hmm. And then as the oxygen's consumed, um, anaerobic fermentation will begin. And so it allows both types to happen, uh, and I, I find that, especially with blends that have a significant Virginia content, it'll make a big difference. Interesting. So um, do you cellar – what size mason jars do you usually use when, you, when you're doing your cellaring? I don't like to use anything much larger than a pint jar. Um, and the reason that I don't is once I open it and it and I let some air get into it to breathe, um, uh, 
I want to I want to go through that uh, fairly quickly before it starts to lose any of its flavor. Um, and larger jars, even though you're putting the lid back on and all, uh, you know, I just find that a pint size is just about ideal. I can go through it quickly enough that I'm I'm getting the best flavor out of it that I can uh, before uh, I I wind up uh, opening up another jar. How about tips for maintaining your uh, regular rotation tobacco? Well, if you're going to uh, leave it in the tin, I I have one little thing that, that I tend to do. And that is that I'll put uh, a piece of plastic wrap over the tin before I close it up. So if it's a you know European style lid, I'll lay a piece of uh, plastic wrap over the tin, and then I'll screw the lid back down. Or if it's the McClelland or Cornell and Deal type tin, I lay it over the top and pop the plastic lid on. And it just gives you a little bit more of a measure uh, of of protection. Uh, I'm not a big fan of adding anything to the tobacco. I don't like adding water. Um, uh, I don't like uh, putting any kind of a packet or a disc in there uh, for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is that I find that we tend to smoke our tobacco too moist. Uh, um, I've contended for a long time that uh, that there's too much moisture in most tobaccos, and you'll find that uh, my blends have a tendency to be a bit uh, drier than you're going to find in most brands. Um, I don't like using humectants. And the reason that I think that we have come to want moist tobacco goes back to the 1950s when manufacturers first started putting uh, tobacco into foil pouches. And when they did that, they wanted to prove to people that their tobacco was fresher. So they would add a little bit more humidity to it, and then they put them in the sealed pouches. And sure as heck, people would go into the store and buy them and open it up, and that tobacco was good and moist. Uh, Well, there are a couple of problems with that. First off, when you add humidity to tobacco, when you smoke it, you're producing steam. And that steam is more likely to burn your tongue than smoke is. Plus, when you have steam in the smoke stream, uh, it works about the same way as adding water to a drink. You're diluting the flavor. Interesting. And so I, I honestly believe that for the most part, we smoke tobacco that's too moist. Uh, and, you know, some people will say, well, when it's dry, it burns too hot. Well, no, it doesn't if you pack it properly. So would you suggest um, leaving it out and drying it out a little bit? Uh, do you have any methods uh, for that? Yeah, the majority of, uh, of folks 
um, would benefit by taking a bowlful and sitting it out on a piece of paper for half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour uh, before packing the pipe. Uh, I was actually working on something. Uh, unfortunately, we can't figure out how to have it made at a reasonable price, uh, but it was going to be a little device where you had a cup and you uh, put some tobacco in the cup and set it into the base unit and turn it on and it would uh, draw an airflow that would dry the tobacco out uh, because I, I really think that uh, most tobaccos would benefit by having a little bit lower moisture content. Interesting. Wow. That's really cool. Is there a blend from the past that you miss a lot? Yeah, there are a number of them, and um, uh, you know, I've 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 found that I missed them enough that I I've tried to make my own versions. Um, certainly, White Knight uh, is you know that's my take on. Balkan Sobrani original from the 70s, and there is a current version, um, but my memories of Balkan Sobrani and the current one don't match up all that well. Now, that's not to say that it isn't um, isn't the same as, let's say, what was available in the 1980s, but in the late 1980s, it was mostly only available in Europe and I didn't smoke it back then. So, you know, the, the the current iteration might be the same as that one, but I couldn't tell you that. But it, it doesn't remind me of the Sobrani I remember from the 70s, so that's why I did White Knight. And uh, it, uh, it's interesting because it leads to uh, the most daunting project I've ever had, which is hanging in the balance right now. Um, in December, we're going to start coming out with, uh, through a licensing agreement, uh, new versions of five uh, classic tobaccos. Uh, a company had purchased the trademarks for John Cotton's uh, and they approached me to bring those blends back. Wow. So John Cotton's number one, uh, number one and two, and Smyrna uh, were the ones that uh, we started out with. And they'll be available right around the beginning of December. Uh, so those are blends that I smoked back in the 70s, and it's been... Uh, it's been a daunting task. Uh, I bet. To, wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. And then um, shortly thereafter, Bengal Slices will be coming back. And uh, and that was a labor of love for me because I had already tried to come up with something along that line with Fusilier's Ration. Um, but now that I had access to more, more information... I was actually able to 
tweak the blend, fine-tune it to get even a little bit closer uh, to the original, and it will be in the original crumble cake form. Uh, and then the last one is one that most American uh, pipe smokers wouldn't be aware of, and that's Warhorse. Now, the uh, the version that most people are familiar with uh, was a plug that could be chewed or smoked, and it was a pretty potent blend. Um, we we knew we weren't going to have the equipment in place uh, very quickly to be able to do that kind of plug. Uh, but we also wanted to get a product out there. And uh, so it turns out that Warhorse had a ready-cut version uh, that was probably made up until like the 1930s. And that was really intended just as a pipe tobacco. So uh, we created a, a nice medium-bodied blend uh, with a pleasant flavor and a, a mild aroma. Uh, and we're bringing that out as Warhorse Ready Cut. And then at a later time, uh, there will be a Warhorse Bar, and that, that's going to be, as the original was, a really potent blend. Wow, you got a lot going on. Yeah, I, I seem to finish one project, and there's two sitting there in front of me. <laughs> How long does it typically take to go from starting a blend until it's ready for the public? Uh, typically, I would say we're looking at six to nine months. Um, in some cases, it's been three years. Wow. And in a couple, well, yeah, that's experimentation, not being happy, going back to the drawing board. Uh, so, you know, from inception to, to delivery, it could be that long. Um, the shortest time, um, four hours. No kidding. <laughs> and how yeah. does, how did that work? Um, what it was is we wanted to, uh, we wanted to get some products, uh, uh, up for sale because we wanted to make sure we were, uh, going to register the trademark and we needed to have products in commerce and I had some blends already in mind but I hadn't executed them so I went uh, I went down and assembled them and tried them and I was okay with them uh, and we made up batches of both tobacco uh, put them on the shelves and then I came upstairs and wrote the copy for them and turned them live. Wow. That's... So, yeah, four, four hours start to finish. <laughs> that's that's pretty wild. That's very cool. Yeah, it was, it was a, a nice exercise. What is a, what's a typical day look like for you as far as a, a work day for a, a blender like yourself? Well, you know, there's... <clears throat> There uh, is a kind of a common misconception that that's what I do all the time. Uh, Time-wise, it's actually a very small part of my job. 
um, you know, I'll, I'll probably only spend uh, four or five hours a week uh, actually developing product. Uh, I'm responsible for the copy, most of the copy for uh, the website, most of the copy for our catalog, um, physically creating the, the web pages uh, that the new products are going to show up on, uh, along with other things. Uh, you know, I have I have input on our product selection and, and all of that. I may have to write emails. So, <clears throat> um, you know, my, my days typically run nine to ten hours. And, uh, and at the end of the day, I'm, I'm always upset that I couldn't get everything done. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's really cool, though, that you get to uh, you get to work on on new blends and 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 things like that throughout the day, even if it's uh, you know not not totally what you're doing all the time. I guess that's I'm, I'm guessing one of the things you really look forward to. Oh, sure. Um, you know, it's uh, I mean, uh, it's very much like cooking. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a matter of uh, imagining in your mind how different flavors are going to work together. And just like cooking, uh, you can have it really well thought out and put it together, and it turns out something completely different than what you had anticipated. Uh, and, you know, so I'm I'm learning every time that I do it. Uh, and I've I've long since put the idea to rest that I've got this figured out. <laughs> uh, I, I, I go into it with a concept, um, but I, I know that I may have to, I may have to turn on a dime because my concept might not be all that accurate. Wow. Very interesting. That's, I guess that's the uh, kind of mindset one in your position would have to have in order to come up with these these creations that uh that not only, you know, are you are you mimicking the past but you're also creating completely new ones for the future. So that's that's yeah. really cool. Really cool. Yeah, well, you know, when when in some cases we know what the end product has got to be like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I was doing White Knight and and, and those sort of things we knew what the end result had to be. We we knew what it had to taste like, and so um, that was that was a different exercise because if it turned out not to be like what I was looking for, I had to know where to go. Um, in some cases, I start out with a concept and I try it. And it's nothing like what I thought, but the result is so interesting that I kind of give up on the initial concept and take it in that direction because I'm happy with what I wound up with. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's that's a, a really cool um, happy accident, I guess, right? Right, exactly. Very cool. Well, Russ, it's been really great chatting with you today. I, I feel like I've learned a ton, and I have 
just as many questions, uh, maybe more so now that, that we've chatted for a little bit. So uh, we may have to do this again. But, man, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule to uh, chat with me today. It's been really great, man. Sure. Oh, I'm, gl- I'm glad to do it. And thanks, uh, thanks for having me. And that was my chat with Master Blender Russ Willette. What a nice guy and what an amazing talent. Drop me a line and let me know which blends you like to pick up from Russ. Which one is your favorite? And don't forget to try out the My Own Blend. That's a really, really neat way to check out how different types of tobaccos and different toppings change what you're smoking completely. I think you'll really get a kick out of it. Go over there to pipesandcigars.com and check out my own blend, not to mention all the wonderful concoctions that Russ has made up over the years. Let me know which ones are your favorite, and and let me know which ones I absolutely need to try if I haven't tried them yet. So let's compare notes. Until we meet again, my friends, this is Oli from oompal.com wishing you very good luck trying to decide which amazing blend by Russ will be next in your collection.